the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. We pray that through this message, you will learn how to apply God's Word and truth to your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. The word engagement, we sometimes use it in a variety of forms. We talk about when it comes to relationships, male, females, when they have this point that they come to the say a point of commitment, they want to get married, they say, we are engaged. We're engaged. It means that you've actually made a commitment to that person and that person to you. You've decided that we're going to go forward with this thing for the rest of our lives. So engagement is used to describe a commitment. It's used to describe becoming involved at a deep level or participating in something at a deep level. And you cannot experience the real Zoe kind of life without engaging with God in the purpose he's called you to and his cause that he has at work in the world. You need to be a part of what God's doing in the world. And what God is doing in the world is that God is advancing his kingdom and God is building his church and he wants you to be engaged in that very same thing. In fact, one of the last things that Jesus said before he went away, he said, I want you to go into all the world and share the gospel. I want you to be involved in my mission. So I want to talk to you today about this power of engagement. You and I need to be engaged with God's plan for our growth and God's plan for our service. Without it, you will never be fulfilled and you will never be fruitful. Now, on the platform this morning, to sort of set up my message, I have three chairs. I want to help you to see uh, where we're going with today's message by a little illustration I'd like to give you. I'm going to invite Felix up to the platform just for a moment, and he's going to help me out with this illustration. And I want you to think about these three chairs in, in terms of the church, okay? And I've been involved in church life for a long time. One of the things I've noticed about church is that in church life, oftentimes we have a lot of people sitting rather than serving, there are a lot of people that become what I call consumer Christians instead of contributing Christians. One of the things that happens when you become a consuming Christian and not a contributing Christian is that you miss out on the growth and you miss out on the engagement of how God can use you in your life. And so there are a lot of people who got saved, who experienced salvation in their life by accepting Christ as Lord and Savior of their life, but they got saved, they received salvation, but they're sitting. I want to tell you this morning that God never saved you so that you would sit. God didn't save you to, to cause you to sit. God saved you to get you engaged in serving. That's the whole plan and purpose of God for your life. And your life is not going to be a Zoe life until you understand this, until this really happens. So in church, we have a lot of people that are just sitting around and not doing all this. This is not a statement of condemnation. This is a statement of encouragement to you today to think about your own life. And there are three different chairs in the church, okay, where people sit, okay? Every church has these three chairs, okay? Our church has these three chairs. Every church has these three chairs where people sit. Is the chair of the seeker, okay? 
we have people that come to church and they don't know a lot about God. Maybe somebody invited them to church and so maybe they kind of want to learn something more about God. And so they're just kind of hanging up, hanging around the edges and wanting to learn a little bit more about God, but they're not really in a relationship with God. They're seeking to know more. And so we don't want them to stay in the seat of the seeker, right? We want them at some point in time as the Holy Spirit is at work in their life, we want to see them come to relationship with Jesus. We want to help them get up and move from the seat of the seeker to the seat of the grower, okay? He's accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior of his life. He now has a relationship with Jesus, and man, is he, is, he is excited about it. I mean, he is so thrilled. I mean, he just met Jesus. He knows his sins are forgiven. I mean, he's got a 10-pound cross around his neck. He's got a 50-pound Bible that he carries around with him. He's got bumper stickers all over the back of his church. Jesus is the answer. Come with me to church, okay? All these things. I mean, this guy is thrilled in his relationship with Jesus. How many of you remember those sweet days when you fell in love with Jesus? Do you remember? Anybody remember those days? Okay, you got it, okay? I mean, there's not a class this guy doesn't sign up for, okay? Over time... That passion and that energy slips away, and if we're not careful, we slip over into seat number three, and seat number three can be a good seat, and I'm going to describe the goodness of seat number three in a moment, but it can also be a very dangerous seat because you get to the place that you're no longer really super passionate about your faith. Now you're mature, and you now become, you have the tendency to sit in this seat. You've been in church for a while. You've heard the the messages, but now you can grow complacent. You can grow just sort of at this point where you're not really pressing forward. You feel like, I've kind of been there, done that. I'm going to come to church, but I'm not going to do much of anything there. And so I sit in the seat of the mature believer, but I'm not growing any longer. And the problem with sitting in this seat is what happens when you become complacent, you begin to lose your spiritual development, your spiritual edge, and you can also become a critic. There are a lot of critics sitting in the seat, critics of the church, okay? And they sit here because they think they, they're sort of an armchair quarterback, and they think they know better than most everybody else. And so if you're not careful, this can become the seat that creates problems for you. There are a lot of churches that are filled up with a bunch of third-seat believers who are set in their ways. They're no longer growing. They're no, no longer developing. Now, the good thing about this chair is that if you really understand what this chair is all about, that when you become a mature believer, you actually don't remain seated in this chair. You actually get up, and you come over here, and you start helping people who are in chair number one, and you're encouraging them along. You're praying for them. Come on. You need Jesus in your life. Come on. Let me help you. We love you. God bless you. All this kind of stuff. You're really working around, trying to move them to seat number two. You get in seat number two with them. Now you're discipling them. Praise God. Come on. I want to praise with you. Glory to God. I'll get me a 10-pound cross, too, to wear with you. This is awesome. And so now this person who was in seat number three is engaged. Everybody say engaged. Okay. So what you want in every church, because this is what keeps the life of the church going. All right. Are you with me? Okay. What you want to be is very engaged in the process. What you don't want to do is stop at any of these chairs. Because God never called you to stop at any point. You move from the seeker to the grower to the mature believer who gets up out of his seat and starts serving. You start being engaged in helping the work of the kingdom of God be accomplished. Amen. Thank you so much, Felix. You did an awesome job. Appreciate that very much. So, how do you do this in your life? How do you make sure? How many of you want to be engaged? Well, let me ask, stop for a moment. How many of you want life? Do you want Zoe? 
You cannot have Zoe without experiencing the love of God in your life. You can't experience Zoe without being inspired with a sense of purpose. You cannot experience Zoe without having an active, living faith in you. And you cannot experience Zoe without being engaged. You have to be engaged in the work of God because what happens is when you you get up out of the third chair, when you get engaged in this process, it renews your faith. When you're helping somebody else grow in their faith, you're leading somebody else to Christ, your faith comes alive. It keeps you moving forward in your spiritual journey as well. So let me share with you this morning four things that will help you to understand what this engagement is all about. Number one, if you're going to get engaged in the work of the kingdom of God, you must get busy growing yourself. When you meet Jesus as Lord of your life, your nature has changed. The Bible says if any person be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And so if you met Jesus, you have a new nature. It's in you. And the issue now as, as a Christian is not do you have a new nature. The issue is does the new nature have you? Are you living out this new nature in Christ? Are you actually demonstrating day by day in your journey with Jesus that you're actually growing in your relationship with him? That this new nature that Jesus has given you is becoming the prominent nature of your life. Instead of your old nature controlling you, you now have the new nature of Jesus controlling your life. That's called growth, okay? Because growth is not about how much you know, it's about how much you live, right? A lot of people know a lot of stuff about the Bible, but they don't live it. That doesn't make you a mature, growing Christian. What makes you a growing Christian is what, not what you know, but what you do, okay? Now, knowing should lead you to doing, but knowing alone is not sufficient. Listen to Paul's words in Ephesians 4, 21 through 24. When you heard about Christ and were taught in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to do what? To put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's called growth, that I'm putting off my old self, and I'm putting on the new creation that Jesus has made me to be. I'm growing in my faith. Now, whose responsibility is it to make sure that you're growing? Listen to Peter's words in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. But grow. Now, there's an implied pronoun that's there. The implied pronoun is you. But you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I want to remind you of something here this morning. You probably know this. But I want to remind you, it is not my responsibility to make you grow. It's not a church's responsibility to make you grow in your faith. It's my job to provide you spiritual food and spiritual nourishment. It's our job as a church to provide an atmosphere in which growth can happen. But growth will never happen unless you choose to grow. You're the person that will choose growth in your life or choose not to grow. So it's your choice. But you, if you're going to move in these chairs and, and, do, and engage in God's purpose, you've got to decide that you're going to grow. Number two, you have to learn Jesus' pattern. If you're going to engage in God's work, you have to understand how God does his work. You can't do God's work in the world's way. Because if you try to do God's work in the world's way, you'll get worldly results, right? And so you've got to do God's work in God's way, and that means you have to learn God's pattern. A pattern is how something is done, okay? Jesus called you and me to be servants. 
He didn't establish the church to give out titles. He established the church to give out towels. See, Jesus washed disciples' feet, said, this is what I did. I want you to do what I do. And so, so church is not about your title. Church is about your towels. How effectively do you serve? Are you serving the purposes of God? Are you a servant? Listen to this in Philippians chapter 2 as Paul describes Jesus himself and this nature of servanthood. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Now, when Jesus came, he put on, if you will, a garment to wear in his ministry on earth, and he continues to demonstrate that ministry today. That that garment is the garment of servanthood. It's a garment that says, I'm going to serve. I'm here to serve. In fact, notice what Jesus even said to his disciples when they were arguing about who was greatest in the kingdom and how you could be awesome and and have real recognition in the kingdom. Notice what Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verses 43 through 45, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all, for even the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, to live, to give like Jesus, to be engaged in the ministry that God's called us to be engaged in, every one of us, we have to choose to do it his way, and that way is with an attitude of humility and an attitude of service. Being a servant is the highest call you will ever have in life. And here's the good news. Everybody can do that. We don't all have all kind of different talents. Some people are more talented than others, but one thing everybody can do is serve. Amen? Number three, the third thing that is essential, if you want to make sure that you're engaging in the work of God, you've got to expect to be stretched. Okay. Serving stretches you like nothing else will. Growing stretches you And God will often put you in situations, if you want to grow and you want to serve, he's going to put you in situations that require more than you have to give. You're going to be stretched in those situations. And the reason that he stretches you is so that you'll depend upon him and find that it's not even your power anyway that's at work. It's the power of God that is at work in and through you. And so we need to be stretched if we're going to grow. Our faith needs to be stretched. Our engagement needs to be stretched. John chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Andrew says, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. What I want you to see is this, because Andrew hopped up out of the third chair and said, I want to be engaged in this process. Jesus said, that was exactly what I was looking for. I was looking for someone who would step up and be engaged. Now, have them to sit down because a miracle is about to happen. Let me tell you something, folks. When you start getting engaged in the work of God yourself, you'll start seeing God at work in and through. You'll see miracles happen in and through you when engagement happens. Philip missed a moment. Andrew captured the moment. So this miracle transpired, and of course we know that 5,000 plus were fed. It was an amazing moment that happened because of Andrew's engagement. Let's lead us now to the last point. This is vital for us. If you're going to be engaged in the work of God, find the real Zoe life that Jesus wants you to experience. You've got to live for eternal rewards. 
anytime, listen closely, anytime you hop up out of this chair as a, as a mature believer, you start serving and growing and maturing in your faith, you begin to be engaged in the process of solutions and helping us overcome, helping God's work overcome the impossibilities and, and actively engage. When you hop up and say, I'm going to engage in the work of God. I'm not going to sit here and just let my life sort of waste away. What I want you to know is every time you hop up and engage, there's a reward for that. Everything that you do for the work of the kingdom of God always brings a reward every time. A lot of us are working real hard to build up our earthly accounts. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I tell you there's a lot wrong with that. If all you're thinking about is your earthly account, you're making no investment in the heavenly account. It's only when you get engaged in the work of God that you start making investments in that which is going to last forever. I will tell you that your eternal investment is worth far more than your natural worldly investments. So we have to make the choice. Let's go back to the story. Look at the end of the story here that I read to you a few moments ago from John chapter 6. Listen to what happens. There are rewards whenever you engage. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Can I ask you a question? After everybody was fed that day, was there anything left over for those who did the serving? Yes. And that's the fear that we all have. If I serve, there'll be nothing left for me. Who's going to take care of me? What about me? Anybody ever thought that question before? Okay. If I get engaged with what's in it for me, what I want you to know is that when you jump up and you begin to engage in service, Jesus always makes sure that there's enough for you too, okay? You can't outserve God. You cannot outgive God. It's impossible to outserve God. It's impossible to outgive God. Even the young boy learned that lesson. Can you imagine being the young boy that day? What did the young boy do? The young boy, when Jesus said, you know, son, I'd really like to have your lunch today. I think we can do something miraculous if you just give me that lunch. I'm sure for a few moments, that little boy said, I'm not sure about this. Mama gave this to me this morning. If I give it to you, I'm not sure. I'm pretty hungry right now. But there was a moment in that little boy's heart that he said, you know, Jesus, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to give to you what was for me, trusting that when I give it to you, there'll still be enough for me. And that's what giving and that's what serving is all about. Giving and serving is not about putting you first. It's putting God first, trusting that when you put God first, he'll take care of you. Amen? Let's wrap up here this morning. That's right. Amen. Let's wrap up here this morning. Matthew 16, 25. We're just about done. If you try to hang on to your life, you will what? Lose it. But if you, if you give up your life for my sake, what will happen? You will save it. Would you read together with me Luke 6, 38? Let's read it all aloud, loudly across our campuses. Give, and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, 
it will be measured to you. Now listen as I read this. Just listen closely. Do you know who said this? Jesus said this. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. And then he describes the response of what will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. Every time I read that passage, I cannot help but remember as a kid raking leaves in our yard and bagging those leaves up and how you'd push them down and shake them together and just push them down some more and shake them together. It's amazing how many leaves you can get in a bag when you press them down and you shake them together until they're running over. That's what Jesus says. He says, I promise you, if you'll give, it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be poured into your lap. But notice the pouring into your lap doesn't happen without the beginning verse word in the verse, that's give, give. And then there's the pouring. We want the pouring out first, don't we? Pour out, Lord, and I'll give. No, God says, give, and I'll pour out. You see the difference? We want the pour out, God, and then I'll give. No, no, no. God says, give, and then I'll pour out into your lap. For with the measure, you got to get this part. We're going to conclude here. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The measure that you use It will be measured to you. I think all of you can identify with this illustration. We have different measurements that we use in our kitchens, correct? Okay. Some recipes call for a teaspoon of something or a tablespoon of something or a cup of something or a pint of something or a gallon of something, correct? Okay. So with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Got it? You're with me here today? So what is Jesus saying? Give, and it will be given to you. The measure you use, it will give, be given back to you. If you give with a teaspoon, what does God use in response with you? Give, and in the same measure, it will be given to you. If you give with a tablespoon, what does God give with you? If you give with a pint, what does God give with you? If you give with a gallon, what does God give with you? If you give with a dump truck, what does God do with you? Okay, are you with me? Okay, are you with me? All right. Who sets the, who sets the limit? Who sets the, the opportunities of what God pours back into our lives? We do by our giving. Now, just make something very clear. I'm not talking about getting financial rewards here. Don't send me emails and say I'm a prosperity preacher. I'm not, okay? I'm not. Because a lot of these rewards don't even come in this life. Some of them come in the next life, amen? It's not all about getting stuff here, okay? Sometimes you're better off not to get it here and get it there, okay? Amen? Sometimes your best gifts are are waiting in eternity for you. So I'm not talking about getting rich. I'm not talking about getting stuff here and having all this stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about what Jesus said. Give, and it will be given to you. He didn't say what would be given to you. He said give, and it will be given to you. Good things will come out out of this in your life. But with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. And my challenge for every one of us today is this. I can tell you by experience and continuing to grow in this experience in my own life, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. It is more blessed to serve than it is to be served. It is such a blessing to come to that third chair in your life and realize, you know what? God has done some incredible things in my life because every church needs third, third chair people, amen? It's called mature believers. But those, those third chair people, what a blessing it is when they hop up out of that third chair and say, you know what? God has done some incredible things in my life. What can I do to engage with God 
in the work that he's called us to do together? How can I be engaged? I believe, as we're wrapping up here this morning, I believe, and I believe that you'll, you'll join with me in this, that we want our church filled up with a whole bunch of seekers. Amen? Amen? Do you want seekers in the house of God? Yeah, we want a bunch of people. Now, by the way, who's going to get these people into the church? Who? You are. Okay. You know them. They're in your neighborhood. They're in your family. They're in the place that you work. They're in your world. So people who don't know God but have a desire for God, you need to be bringing them to church. You need to invite them to the house of God. You need to bring them to, to, to the, the opportunity here and let the, the, the word of God and let God's, God work in life. So we're to fill up God's house. That's why I believe Jesus said his house is to be full. So it's our job to get people in here who's seeking. But then to pray them and set up and engage in the process. We're removing them just from a seeker to a person who has a relationship with Jesus and they're growing and moving to the point that they're mature in their faith and they're helping with the process of us moving people forward in their faith. And when you do this, you have a healthy church. You have a church that is continuing to reach people generation after generation after generation after generation until Jesus comes back again. Perhaps as you have been listening to today's broadcast, you felt a stirring in your heart, something that reminded you that you need to get something right in your life with God. The first way to start in that journey with God is to open your heart to Jesus Christ, to make Him the Lord of your life, to turn over all your life to Him. And that begins with a very simple prayer. I want to lead you in that prayer right now, and it's a prayer that you can pray right where you are. Say these words, Jesus I invite you into my life today to forgive me of all my sins. I need you. I want you. I want you to take charge of my life. Be my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. Now, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says, when we call on God's name, when we call on the name of His Son, Jesus, there is salvation that is brought to our lives. He changes us from the inside out. And the Bible says that if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And that's what's happened to you today as you've opened your heart to Christ. Let me encourage you. You need to take the next step. The next step is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church where you're studying God's Word. And make sure you get a copy of God's Word and begin to read it. Spend some time each day in prayer. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. If you would like more information, please visit our website at church-redeemer.org. May God bless you and make you a blessing. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.